0: We've got troops in Afghanistan. We've got them in Iraq. Um, we're, we've got conflicts in, in Africa. Um, as many of you know, my nephew is a Navy SEAL. And uh, if you think that we don't have military personnel in Africa, when I was over in Entebbe, I got a call from him. And he said, Uncle Rob, uh, mom says that you're in Africa. And I said, I am. I'm in Uganda. He goes, I'm in Uganda. And I said, well, I'm in Entebbe. He says, I'm in Kampala. I said, I'll be in Kampala tomorrow. So we ended up connecting and then later that that week, uh, he and his team came into Entebbe and the entire SEAL team um, squad, it wasn't a platoon, it was a squad, and we hosted a barbecue them, and these guys were hardcore and they couldn't tell us what they were doing and I didn't bother to ask because they could kill me a thousand different ways. But we have military personnel. My father was in the military. We were stationed in Japan. We were in Okinawa. My father was in Vietnam, uh, we have troops in Korea, uh, we're currently looking at North Korea and the struggles there, and, and, and we look at this and we think, what is America's foreign policy supposed to be? And does the Declaration of Independence speak to this? Does the Declaration of Independence speak to a, an American foreign policy, and did our founders speak to an American foreign policy? And we're going to take a look at that tonight, we're going to have some fun with it, but before we do that, uh, though it's not American, it's uh, British... I wanted to share with you uh, a speech from um, Winston Churchill. Have, have all of you seen Darkest Hour? Yeah, yeah pretty amazing movie. Um, fascinating. If if Gary Oldman doesn't win the Academy Award, there's something seriously wrong. Uh, this is this is a speech he did before the House of Commons um, prior to the war. He said, "What General Wygant called the Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin." Upon this battle depends a survival, and listen to this, upon this battle depends a survival, pay attention to this, upon this battle depends a survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into a broad sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink in the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will say this was their finest hour. He said in this one, you must have diplomatic and correct relations, but there can never be friendship between British democracy and Nazi power. That power, which spurns Christian ethics, which cheers its onward course by barbarous paganism, which vaunts the spirit of aggression and conquest, which derives strength and perverted pleasure from persecution and uses, as we have seen with, pitiless brutality, the threat of murderous force, that power cannot ever be trusted, uh, cannot ever be trusted, a trusted the trusted friend of, the Brit, of British democracy. So he's distinguishing between two powers. One he calls paganism, barbarism. The other he calls Christian civilization. He establishes this. If, if we were to summarize in what we've learned from tweets and the like, what would you say uh, President Trump's foreign policy is? There's two words, America first. Now, what's interesting about that, America first? When we've covered immigration, and as we went through immigration, we saw this this realization that the sovereign in America is we, the people, were under a, a contract, a civil contract, a compact, a civil compact that we, as Americans, are not we we were we were Americans long before the US Constitution but the Constitution establishes what an American is and and what it is that we've agreed to to become citizens and and we the people in order to form a more perfect union and so we establish this Constitution we know the declaration of independence is uh, our mission statement and then the Constitution is our bylaws and as a people we have agreed to submit to the authority of the, these bylaws that we will be governed by this set of laws. We have the seven articles of U.S. Constitution, twenty-seven amendments. In the Bill of Rights is given to each of us inalienable rights, and we agree to submit to that form of government as a, as a civil compact as a people. And thus, we see the division of the power between legislative, executive, and judicial branches. But who is the sovereign? We've covered this. Who is the sovereign of the United States of America? We, the people. We're the only sovereign that is outside the, the regulating of the government because the government operates apart from us, but we have the ability to elect our representatives in what is called a constitutional republic, where it's a representative form of government. Can anyone tell me how we came about having a representative form of government? Do you remember the one word that started the revolution that's found in the Declaration of Independence? Consent. consent. So we established this word consent, and why does there need to be consent of the governed? Why does there need to be consent? If nothing's been learned, then nothing's been taught. So please think hard about this. Why do we need consent of the governed? We're equal. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator. So I can't do to bread anything that he doesn't give me permission to do. Thus, if I'm going to represent him, it must be by consent, correct? Correct. Now we understand that yes where does that consent come from the fact that we're equal where do we get this concept of equal creator endowed by our creator with certain inalienable which means you can't put a lien on it correct they can't be taken away and we can't give them away now with that understanding of these rights coming from god not from men this idea that we're equal and we govern by consent we establish a constitutional republic and and as as our founders pointed out, the most dangerous of the three branches of government, <laughs> today we'd laugh at it, but back then they said it was a legislature because it was the only branch of government that was directly connected to the sovereign, we the people, right? Okay, so as we go through this, now we look at, and this is what I wanted to do tonight, this whole concept of, of America's foreign policy. And as I read the two Churchill speeches and I laid that out, I want to distinguish between principles and policy, because if we're going to look at America's foreign policy, uh, we have to understand the distinction between principles and policy. What are principles? How many people are awake tonight? (laughs) All right. What are principles? You want me to turn the heat off? I thought you were cold. Now you're falling asleep on me. What are principles? I'm sorry, I heard guide over there. Guidelines that govern our life, principles that we live by, as I heard over here, standards, values. Now, what are policies? Laws. But what makes those laws? What should govern those laws? The principles. So, what you find in the Declaration of Independence are principles. These are the principles. We hold these truths. These are the principles, they're true. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, as we lay this out and we see these truths, these are the principles that govern us. I don't know what that is. Here we go. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent. Remember that word, consent. Why is there consent? Because we're equal. From the consent of the governed... That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, do you remember what Churchill said? Paganism, barbarism coming against what? Christianity. Christianity. Where do we get these principles as we've studied in the past? Where did they come up with these ideas? Where did they get the concept of a creator? We've gone through the whole idea of of the Hebrew culture. We've looked at the the republics that you go through, Greece and Rome, and we get this concept of, of consent of the governed and that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government. Now, this declaration went in the course of human events. What's interesting about that? We've covered it. Is it only valid in 1776? Okay. It becomes necessary for a people. Was it only for the United States or for mankind? mankind? Mankind. So this is a declaration of independence for the world to see that there is a God who governs in the affairs of men. We've been created in his image. We're equal and we operate by the consent of the governed. Clear? Okay. Now, it is the right of the people to alter, abolish, and institute a new government whenever any form of government becomes destructive of what? These ends. What are these ends? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or virtue. Yes? Okay. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And then it goes on to say prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. Accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. You look in North Korea, those folks aren't happy, but they are willing to put up with it and take it as long, and they're not going to fight the government, they're not going to put their lives on the line. How did we end up with a constitutional republic? It's because one in nine Americans fought in the Revolutionary War. They endured, they suffered so that we could enjoy the longest expanse of freedom in the history of the world. But it requires diligence, it requires vigilance, it requires participation. We the people, if we don't like the form of government, whose fault is it? Ours. ours. And if we don't participate, a republic only survives by vigilance and the morality of its people. What did Adams say? Only a republic can be governed by a moral people. If we don't understand these principles, if we're not educated in these principles, if the pulpits aren't espousing these principles, it, it, then we lose it. It must be reminded of the citizenry. Now, I was talking about foreign policy, right? And you're wondering, how does, the, how does the Declaration of Independence apply to foreign policy? Was terrorism around at the Declaration of Independence or in our founders' times? Yes. Anyone ever heard of the Barbary pirates? Yes. Anyone ever heard of Tripoli from the shores of, Mo- or from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of. Jefferson sent the United States Navy, the Marines came in, they fought. And why did they fight? They fought Muslims. Did they fight all Muslims? No, they didn't declare war against Islam. What did they do? They declared war. Oh, there's a basketball outside, I guess. They declared war against those that were pirating our ships. They call it the great uh, highways of the sea. And they had impeded commerce, which affected what? The United States of America. So what did we do? We sent troops abroad. For what? To protect the interests of the people. Now, how could they define what a terrorist was? They actually had an interesting definition of what a terrorist was. And you're going to find it shocking when I get to this portion of the Declaration of Independence because these are the list of the transient, you can't you can't revolt for lighter transient causes. And so they go on to give an enormous list of the reasons why they're breaking away from, from this oligarchy, this monarchy to establish this constitutional republic as the first time in the history of the world it had ever been established in this capacity. And so they lay it out and they actually define a terrorist. And I want you to take a look at it. Speaking of the king, it says, he has excited domestic insurrection among us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages who, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. That means they murder the elderly, the infirmed, the young, women, indiscriminate. Now you say, well, this is racist. But it's not. And the reason why is because at the writing of this and the declaration of war upon these Indians, these what they called savages, they also distinguish what they called the five civilized tribes. It derives from the colonial and early federal period in the history of the United States. It refers to the five Native American nations the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw Creek, and Seminole. They were civilized. This is why they were civilized. Washington promulgated a doctrine that held that American Indians were equals. He formulated and implemented a policy to encourage the civilizing process. They presumed that once the Indians adopted the practice of private property, built homes, farmed, educated their children, these Native Americans would win acceptance from white Americans. And so five of those tribes accepted those terms and became what was called the civilized tribes, five of them. And here they are, the Cherokee, Choctaw, Muscogee, which was a creek, and the Chickasaw and the Seminole Indians. And when he had laid this out, he wanted to distinguish between what was civilized and what was pagan. And what did he say in relation to, or what was the Declaration of Independence declaring in regards to these Indians? indiscriminate destruction and paying no attention to the infirmed, the aged children. They just conducted brutal warfare indiscriminately. And this was unacceptable. And one of the reasons for declaring their independence from England was because the King had enlisted the support of these savages to destroy the, the folks in the frontier. And they operate in the context of fear. How does terrorism operate? Fear. Fear. And that fear is an attempt to subject you. Now, we're going to go through this, but Washington, when he had retired from office, he did a farewell address. And in his farewell address, part of his foreign policy was listed here. And in the foreign policy, he pointed out some of the things that the nation needed to be mindful of in his farewell address. And he said, We're to be vigilant people. Will seek to use the government for uh, be vigilant, people will seek to use the government for selfish ends. He said avoid overgrown military establishments that are hostile to liberty. He says give allegiance to the Constitution, improve it as necessary. He said religion and morality are essential to create the virtue necessary to preserve the Union. This is our founding father, Washington. Promote widespread education. Democracy requires literate citizens. We've covered that in the old Satan Deluder Act. We've gone through the importance of literacy, biblical literacy, that understand the system of governments and take responsibility for themselves. Six, avoid debt and immediately discharge any debt created by war. Cultivate peace and justice towards all nations. Avoid alliances. Maintain neutrality among nations. Avoid dependency a weak state that allies with a stronger state will become its servant. Has anyone ever said, if you go into business with the, the devil, you'll soon realize you're a junior partner? Right? But look what he's saying about foreign policy. Cultivate peace and justice towards all nations. Avoid alliances and maintain neutrality among nations. Interesting. Is that a principle or is that a policy? Are you sure? Well, what would they do later? Anyone ever heard of the Mon- Monroe Doctrine? And what was the Monroe Doctrine? M- Monroe Doctrine. They al- they aligned all of the Western Hemisphere. Yes. How about NATO, North American uh, North uh, treaty, treaty or, or North Atlantic treaty, treaty, treaty. Treaty. treaty Organization? Sorry, NATO. Are we in, are, are we in alliance with other nations in relation to that? So is this a principle or a policy? That was was a policy that would later change. But the principle is, be careful. The principle is, be careful. Um, Look at this. In trade, give no nation a favored nation status. And he says, be guided by principles and not interests. That was his farewell address, September 19, 1796. And yet, you look at this, and he's saying... There are principles that govern us. Those principles are this. All men are created equal. The purpose of government is to protect those inalienable rights. If any government seeks to destroy that, it is the, it is the, the requirement of the people to throw off that government. Do you understand that? This is is a principle for all mankind that our freedom doesn't come because someone subjects us to their will in an oligarchy by fear and trepidation. That we are a civilized nation, not paganism or barbarism. Is that clear? Now, as a sovereign nation, we have borders and as a civil compact, we've agreed. Now, as we covered immigration, if someone enters our nation illegally and violates our laws and then demand citizenship are they submissive to our civil compact is someone allowed to break into your house they shouldn't be allowed to break into your country now if you want to yield to these principles and you want to come through as we pointed out in the US constitution that the legislative body of the US constitution described or d- designs that we that they they do all laws in relation to To um, immigration, then we're subject to that. And you go through that process and that means. So we look at this and we see that this is a nation that has established laws, a civil compact. Our purpose on the earth is that we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're created equal. We have the consent of the governed. This is to be protected. And our foreign policy declares that. And one of the reasons why we broke away is because the savagery of this terrorism And he distinguished between Indians. It wasn't racist. They had the five civilized tribes and they had those that sought savagery upon all of our frontier citizens. The distinguishing principle. Now our foreign policy is to protect our citizens from what? Savagery. To protect our interests. Jefferson didn't declare war against the Muslim world. He declared war against those that were affecting our ships. Clear? Now, Watch this. For anyone who thinks that I am anti-Muslim, I disagree with the theology wholeheartedly, but there's not a war against Muslims. There is an ideological war in a sense against Islam and its fundamental practices, but the Arab world is not my enemy. The enemy are the ones that seek to infringe upon our freedom. You want to come here and practice your religion and your religion requires that I be subjected to your religious laws? No. You want to take away my life, my liberty, or my pursuit of happiness, or you consider me less? I'll give you an example. Washington wrote one of the most fascinating letters that we have in the archives, and it was a letter that he wrote to a synagogue upon its dedication in Newport, Rhode Island. This was August 19th, 1790? Here it is. To the Hebrew congregations of Newport, Rhode Island, uh, Washington's letter to the Hebrew congregation, Newport, Rhode Island, is small in size, but its impact on American life is immense. In 340 well-chosen words, the letter reassures those who had fled religious tyranny that life in the new nation would be different. And this is what he wrote. One of the, you can read it. You can just pull it up on your own. But this is what's fascinating. And actually, on the lighting of the menorah candle, uh, the Orthodox community asked me to come out. I actually read this um, uh, as they asked me to as a city councilman. For happily, the government of the United States gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution assistance. Requires only that they who live under its protection should de- demean themselves as what? In giving it on all occasions their effectual support does it matter if you're jewish catholic protestant atheist what's the only requirement good citizen what is a good citizen someone who understands the civil compact that we as a nation have agreed to understood and we contend for those and our founders gave us a constitution that established our moral operation that we can't, it even outlined how we rise in power by the consent of the governed. We have to get elected. We have uh, uh, um, the way the president is elected through the electoral college. We separate the powers. The president gets to appoint the judicial branch of the government. And in each of these cases, we are all subject to the authority of the US Constitution, which governs us. And what's interesting about legislative, executive, and judicial, and you have an upper and a lower house with the, with the House and the Senate they say that the wheels of justice move slowly. And what happens when you have two houses of government, two parties and others, you got the right and the left and in between. And we're watching this with DACA and we're watching it with the border wall and we're watching it with funding our troops and we're shutting down the government and then we're turning on the government, and we're turning it off and then we're going back and forth and we're worried about the FBI. And then we're worried about uh, Russia investigation on and on and on. And what's happening is they're deliberating and it, Anyone ever get tired of the process, how slow it is? No. No, amen. We look at it as gridlock, but the idea is what happens when you have to deliberate together? Passion goes aside, right? Excuse me. Appetites go aside, passion continues. This idea that our convictions remain, passions dissipate. If you're going to stay in the process, it has to be your convictions that drive you, not your passions, because you get tired after a while. It's the right thing to do. I'm going to continue to pursue it. And that's what our founders designed. They designed it that way, that we would deliberate. It was, it was Aristotle called, we're all driven by those those two ideas. You have the, the the doing virtue and the and the thinking virtue. The doing virtue is, we're all hungry when we want food. The thinking virtue is... I better eat something good for me instead of what I really want. One, I'll get really fat, and the other, I'll be healthy. And in both cases, it satiates my appetite, but one, I enjoy a little bit more than the other. But if I think about it, I want to do it, but if I think about it, I see the the reward in doing it the proper way. And the doing and the thinking virtues have to come together. And so when this is outlined, Washington is pointing out that happily the government of the United States gives to bigotry, no sanction. Do you know what that meant to the Jews coming out of Europe? Freedom. You can come and practice here. You won't be persecuted. You won't be the killers of Jesus. We're not going to say that that your flesh was ground up in matzo balls and we're going to go out and... No, no, no. That doesn't exist in America. It gives to bigotry, no sanction to persecution, no assistant requires only that those who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens and giving it on all occasions, their effectual support. So you don't have to be, you don't, we, we don't have to do a litmus test to say, okay, who's a, who's a real Christian. We have to do a litmus test to say, okay, who's a real Catholic. Okay. Who's a real Jew. Who's a real Muslim. Now, the principles laid out have come through forms of government, whether it be Hebraic or going through the Greek forms of government and establishing this concept as, as as we talk about the law of nature and nature's God. That doesn't matter if you're a Muslim or a Catholic or a Protestant or an atheist, we're all subject to the law of gravity, Correct. These founders were brilliant. They created a system of government where all you have to do to be a citizen is agree to operate in the civil compact of the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution, the 27 amendments that are given to everybody, and you play by the rules. Clear? Protection as human beings and as citizens and as a nation, we respect these rights and foreigners, but protect them for our citizens. So what Washington was saying basically is, If a foreign government has a democracy, we respect them. But we protect those rights of our citizens. We respect yours, but we protect ours. We're glad you have yours, but our responsibility is to protect ours. Everyone clear on that? We're thrilled that you want to have Trudeau as your prime minister. We're thrilled that you want Angela Merkel. We're thrilled that you want to go in that direction. That's yours. But our job is to protect our citizens based on this civil compact of the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution, 27 amendments. That's our job. Our foreign policy dictates that our responsibility is to protect these inalienable rights. Clear? If you violate our sovereign duty to protect our citizens, we will be enemies in war and friends in peace. You want to violate us? We will be enemies in war. After we defeat you, we will be friends in peace. You want to be a part of us? You want to immigrate here? You go through our system of rules and regulations. We'll welcome you in. We will thrive as a nation, but we will protect our citizens. In U.S. history, I said this earlier, over 200 wars have been fought, but never against a democratic or commercial republic. Did you realize that? Now, foreign policy. What's the greatest threat? to our foreign policy or, or what's our greatest threat to our sovereignty in the United States of America today? And it, there's no correct, there are probably correct answers, but I'm, I'm just interested in what you think are some of the greatest threats. I mean, if you're in Hawaii, you're definitely going to say North Korea. Yes. Huh? Free trade agreement. I understand. I understand. Our government going into tyranny? Do we have any like ones that are on the news? Like yes, political correctness. Okay. NSA spying. No one's saying ISIS. No one's saying terrorism. Terrorism. I mean, how about the moral decline? We've had shootings in schools. Anyone with that? All enemies, foreign and domestic. Yes, back there, Gil. Religious liberty, foreign policy. It's an infiltration, I guess, in what? The fabric that is the design of the nation as a constitutional republic? Is that what you're all kind of alluding to? Socialism, so... 70 million abortions. 70 million abortions. We've got a bunch of them in here. Okay, good. Now let's take a look at this. California Friday. This was a ways back, but I just pulled it off. This was in July 21st, 2017. California Friday sermon. Imam Amar Shaheen cites anti-Semitic Hadith, prays for annihilation of Jews, and calls to liberate Al-Aqsa Mosque from their filth. And he's doing that in Sacramento. He's preaching that. It's actually up in um, Davis. At, at a mosque. Now, Do we have freedom of speech? Would you say he's operating as a good citizen? So what are we going to do with that? We're going to keep an eye on it. And what if someone from his congregation acts on that? Is he liable? Have you sanctioned it? Would you say that's a threat? What is our responsibility? Now, are we anti muslim but what is our concern? Are they living as citizens, good citizens of the United States? They're coming after someone else of a different religion, yes? And they're, they're saying they're filth. And what did Washington say? What will they do for, will they give bigotry any foothold in America? Okay. Anyone know who that is? Who is it? A L'Oreal model. A L'Oreal hair model? Actually, right, a Muslim L'Oreal hair model. Don't see a lot of hair, though. Yeah, British Muslim Amena Khan has given up her modeling gig with L'Oreal. Actually, they fired her. After receiving backlash for past tweets that surfaced of her being critical of Israel, Israel equals Pharaoh. Both are child murderers. Allah, defeat also awaits the former. It's only a matter of time. Would you say, now that's a British citizen, but would you say that's a good thing? So we have ideologies that are seriously contending for life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, operating in the context of fear. 38,000 terrorist attacks around the world since 2011, all done in the name of Allah. Is this a threat? Are we at war with Muslims? We certainly are at war with an ideology. Can Muslims live in the United States? If what, according to Washington? Good citizens. What is a good citizen? Living by the civil compact we've all agreed to. Does Sharia law take precedent over yeah. US? No. So, terrorist acts, foreign policy. What's that? What's that? Hiroshima. Nuclear explosion. Fat boy, little man. Decimated. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Decimated. Dropped it on women and children. The feeble, the elderly. Right out of the Declaration of Independence. Why is that not an act of terrorism? Yeah. <sighs> it, you, 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 uh, we'll get to the answer, but kind of startled you a little bit, didn't it? Because this is what you're going to get. How about this firebombing of Dresden? And I could show you pictures of people that, you know, a woman holding her child and she's just, they're just bones, just burned. Women, children, infirmed, elderly, feeble, no chance. We firebombed, firebombed them. I wrote it out. was Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Dresden, a terrorist act. Isn't one man's terrorist, another man's freedom fighter? I get this all the time. Isn't one man's terrorist, another man's freedom fighter? Doesn't that sound good? Was the Boston Tea Party a terrorist act? I get that too. They didn't kill anybody. They broke the law. But let's take a look. Terrorism equals a form of warfare and ruling not by reason but by fear. In Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and Dresden, we did not intend to rule, but end a war they started. The Tea Party broke the law, but did not qualify as terrorism. They didn't threaten or kill or do it for the sake of ruling. This was the idea of an unjust act, and they violated it. Civil disobedience. And and one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter is not the case, because what is the ideology of the so-called freedom fighter on their end seeking to do? Impose their will on you. Yes? Was Adolf Hitler a freedom fighter? Here's one. A systemic power relationship of rational actors doing what they can to achieve a political goal. This is what they say about terrorists. A systematic power relationship of rational actors doing what they can to achieve a political goal. Subjectively rational, but not morally rational. I need money, so I'll pick your pocket. The idea is, oh, no, 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 Pastor, you don't understand. They're not terrorists. It's a systemic power relationship of rational actors doing what they can to achieve a political goal. That's all ISIS is doing. They're they're rational actors seeking to accomplish a political goal. They may be rational subjectively. If I do this, I get that. And I'm thinking rationally, if I do this, I get that. If I scare people, I can dominate them. Yeah, that's rational subjectively, but how about morally? If we remove the moral contingent of who we are as a society, we're in trouble. Why is it that John Adams said only a moral people can govern a republic? A republic gives freedom to its people. What is it that we broke away from? Oligarchies. How's the only way we can have this freedom? We need to understand the basis of it. We remove that and we're going to be like everybody else. We're going to buy that line. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fire. No, it's not. We are fighting for what? The fact we've been created equal, endowed by our creator with inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. The purpose of government is to protect those rights. Where do we get that from? That's why we've done the whole history of it. Where it came from, how we came about getting it, why we are the most productive, effective nation in the history of the world. More freedom than any other nation on the face of the earth has ever experienced. Where does that come from? And we need to realize that. Now, in a foreign policy, there's principles and there's policy, right? He was our ally. He killed more people than Hitler did. He killed more of his people than Hitler did. He's responsible for more deaths than Hitler was responsible for. And he was our ally. And there's Adolf. We were against him before the other guy. Why? Well, as soon as we defeated him, who do we go after after that? He was, Hitler was a more, immediate a more immediate threat. You go into... Excellent answer because I was going to use the illustration. Thank you for setting it up. You go into an emergency room and you've got... We've covered before, you got a big tumor on your neck, but you're bleeding out and you're... and And if they don't... Stop the femoral bleeding, you're going to die. What do they deal with? They want to go get a biopsy of the tumor or are they going to stop the bleeding? The immediate threat. Hitler was an immediate threat, correct. Stalin came later. And it was Adolf Hitler who stood against him before America did. And why did America stay out of the war? We went through World War I with this idea that the League of Nations and that we were going to unify with the world. And, and uh, Woodrow Wilson believed in the League of Nations, and then all of a sudden we just saw all of our, our soldiers being gassed, Flanders field, hundreds of thousands dead. We just dissatisfied with it, we thought we would achieve peace in our own time. And we did this League of Nations. But here's the problem: Does the nature of man change? Why do we need three branches of government? The nature of man is to consolidate power to himself, thus what is the most popular form of government in the history of the world, oligarchies. When we understand the nature of man and we design a constitutional republic that divests the power and protects the freedom of the individual accountable to God, now we have freedom. Yes? Is this clicking? Are you picking it up? Yes, because I'm putting it down. Uh I think that's it. Yeah, I'm done with the nothing slides. Watch in this.
1: Down fighting. Yeah, nothing even remotely patriotic in death or glory if the odds are firmly on the former. Nothing inglorious in trying to shorten a war that we are clearly losing. Losing. Europe is still. Europe is lost. And before our forces are wiped out completely now is the time to negotiate in order to obtain the best conditions possible Hitler will not insist on outrageous terms, he will know his own weaknesses he will be reasonable when
0: will the lesson be learned? when will the lesson be learned? how many more dictators must be
1: wooed, appeased before we
0: learn. You cannot reason with a tiger when your head
1: is in its mouth.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna close with the, the reading again that I began with. What General Wygan called the Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will say this was their finest hour. When he gave that speech, America wasn't in the war. Roosevelt wouldn't even send Churchill anything. The Lend-Lease hadn't even started at that point. We were in an isolationist mode. We had the 22nd largest military on the face of the earth. We were in a lot of trouble. And what ushered us into declaring war? Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. And we declared against two fascist nations, both Japan and Germany, and we entered into that war. And they said uh, after Pearl Harbor, they said the line to enlist was around the block in every city and town in America. I think uh, I, I don't remember the exact number. I think it was 13 million soldiers we deployed. We lifted the half of our Pacific fleet from from the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, refitted it. We took on that two fronted war. We became an industrial nation, and we fought. And one of the things I took my sons through this past week was we watched Flags of Our Fathers and Iwo Jima, and I took them through not only Band of Brothers, but also the Pacific, edited, of course. And I showed them that, especially in the Pacific, as the war drug on, and we went to Iwo Jima, we lost almost 7,000 Marines were killed, 30,000 wounded, and there were 14,000 Japanese on the island. And it was just an almost insignificant airfield, but it was the first portion of Japanese territory, and Americans had gotten so tired and disillusioned by the war, and they were losing their 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 will to win. And it was Flag of Our Fathers, a corman uh, and a and a, a series of other men, Navy corpsmen and Marines, that lifted the secondary flag up to Iwo Jima. Uh, Rosenthal took the picture. It became iconic made it on the front page of all the magazines and newspapers around the country. And all of a sudden, the resurgence of the war came. They went into Okinawa, which was a bloodbath. The Japanese were going to fight to the very last person with terrorist mindset. They would come in with children ahead of them, and then the, they, they would have the child, the mothers uh, strapped with explosives, and they'd blow up our Marines. And, and it, it, was, it was crater by crater, bunker by bunker, and they knew that the... The, the cost of life. They had expected over 100,000 deaths in the invasion of Japan. And then word came down about fat boy and little man. And the Enola Gay dropped the bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the Japanese surrendered. Now, did we, you know, I love what my godfather said. He died at 100 years of age, and at the time that he was alive at 99, he was the highest ranking survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor. He was a lieutenant on the USS Cassin. He said, you know what, Rob? When we left those countries, after we had conquered them, we set up constitutional republics in both of those countries, and we only asked for enough ground to bury our dead, and we came home. They weren't terrorists because they didn't seek territory. But when they left, they left it better than they found it. They did good to those who spitefully used them. Where does that come from? What nation does that? Love your enemies and do good. Where does that come from? And those who say, I'm a strict constitutionalist, and you want to remove Scripture, you want to remove a Judeo-Christian heritage, where in the world did this document come up from then? The machinations of man? You can't separate the two. Our founders couldn't. People go, oh, pastor, you're too preachy. Others say you're not preachy enough, so it's like a balance, I guess. But I am a pastor. But the reality is, this constitutional republic we've been given, this concept of a foreign policy, governs us as a people. And it's a a policy that's dictated by, ready? (coughs) Principle. Principle. The principle and the realization defined in the Declaration of Independence is that we're created equal. We want to live together as citizens under a civil compact. We don't care if you're atheist. We don't care if you're homosexual. We don't care if you're transgender. We don't care if you're Muslim. We don't care if you're Catholic. We don't care if you're Protestant. We don't care as long as you are a good citizen and you will live by the seven articles of the Constitution and the 27 amendments and you operate in that context not to usurp that authority or bigotedly demand of another human being. That's a pretty cool place to live. We need to understand it and celebrate it. And I'm one minute over. We've got 14 minutes for questions and answers. Maybe some comments, but don't don't wax long. And by the way, a lot of people usually want to share, so don't dominate the time. Put a caboose on the train. Yep. American. Maybe this, so I need to there were. These were the five that they entered into an agreement with at that time. They called it the five civilizations. I just used that as an example. There were many more. It wasn't. As a matter of fact, the Cherokees had the Trail of Tears, and we violated that. Mm Yep. 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 It's an ugly part of our history, and I'm full agreement with you. Yeah. But the ones who began that purpose were noble, and they intended to do it just like... uh, just like Washington, or excuse me, Lincoln had noble purposes for the South at the end of the war, and that all changed. So, it, man's, nature. man's nature. Yep, we're all capable of that. Thank you for pointing that out. Was there anything else? Oh, say yes, over here. Yes.
1: So you read. Yeah. So if you're going to go against the laws of the land, so there you are. So you reap that you plant your heart, and I see that every
0: principle. I it, think it's against all that. Am I wrong? No. Scripture's not wrong. Good one. Yes. yeah we 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 pointed that out that they were they were an enemy there was a great concern, but they were not an immediate threat and immediately after the war they became an immediate threat and that's where you had churchill give his iron curtain speech and and turn it into the cold war sure. might not the world, no. yeah, that that's agreed they 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 took more casualties we covered that yeah they took more casualties than any other nation but they They're responsible for more, he's responsible for more deaths of his people than Hitler was. I was just pointing that out. Yeah, over here. That's that's a stretch to say terrorism and attach it to a shutdown of government. I, I think they went through legal maneuvers to do that. It's it's within the law, the Constitution. They're following it. I don't like it. I think it's. Do it. to do it more often. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, I think we're we're going to have to work through some issues and certainly come to a a better understanding. And yeah, but I I don't equate that with the blowing up of the infirmed and the. Uh, I'm sorry. The, uh, the 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 comment was is the shutting down of government a form of terrorism in a sense, um, <laughs> and I I'm following your your thought process, but no, I I don't really see it that way. I think it's just bad management. It is bad management. It's it, but it's it does affect our people. You know, I I don't, I don't I don't think it was the way our founders intended to operate. I agree with you on that. Yep, here.
1: but simple majority in Congress,
0: especially with deadlocks? Uh, I, th- I think the Constitu- Constitution clearly points out two-thirds. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes? Would you say our president is then a strict constitutionalist? Uh, uh, the question is, would well, I say our president is a strict constitutionalist? <laughs> I, I, I'd, give me some time. He certainly is interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we covered this. I can't remember because we've been doing this for a while. But you look at the seven mountains of cultural influence. You have arts and entertainment, media, education, business, politics, religion, family. And and to change a culture, you have to affect those seven mountains, Right. And in each of those cultural mountains of influence, there's there's a currency, arts and entertainment, it's selling movie tickets, politics, it's winning elections, business, it's being successful, right? And education, interesting, the currency probably in California for education is the union. You can't really affect education unless you understand the unions. And so with these seven mountains of cultural influence, let's take a look at the president and see if he has the ability to move these cultural mountains of influence. So let's look at media, media The currency in media is is, uh, how many followers you have. He won the presidential election basically with a Twitter account. Anyone question that? (laughs) Arts and entertainment, he had the number one television show in America. So he knows these cultural mountains of influence almost better than the media and the arts and entertainment do. He's been successful. Uh, Let's look at business. Pretty successful business. Politics, again... Uh, He took out, was it 18 candidates, 17 candidates? I remember I was telling Mike Huckabee, I was equating Donald Trump to Samson. And I said, Samson took down a 1,000 Philistines with a jawbone of an ass. Trump took down 17 Republican candidates with, and he goes, a jawbone of an ass. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let's
0: take a look at family. The man's been three times married, twice divorced. By his own admission, he's been a philanderer. But how how do his, do his kids respect him? Yeah. Are they successful in their own right and kind of carry themselves pretty? And do they love him? Yeah, yes. pretty fascinating. Uh, education. I mean, I I sent my son to a private school. I have to tell you, I'm thrilled about the fact I get a deduction for the the tuition on that. And and some of the things he's doing to to bring education back to the level of the parents, pretty fascinating. And then here's the one that's a kicker to me: religion. I remember the first time he said 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. I'm like, oh, this guy didn't know squat. And and he's fighting for the Johnson Amendment. He spoke to the pastors when I had the privilege to be a part of the American Renewal Project. And his speech wasn't riveting, but, you know, and he got some of the dates and times wrong. But he understood what was important, even though the pastors in the room didn't understand what was important. He was still addressing that. And, and he's, in a sense, is a lot like Ronald Reagan. Reagan didn't go to cater to the religious vote. The religious vote came to him. Here's a man three times married, twice divorced, and 85% of evangelical Christians came to the polls on his behalf. Highest number in modern history. That's pretty fascinating. The, the guy, whatever you think of him, be careful, because he knows these cultural mountains of influence. And, and people go, oh, his Twitter account's crazy. Yeah, but all of a sudden, this is the issue, and he Twitters over here, and everyone goes,
1: <laughs>
0: Anybody? So. Yes, Jim. I, I no, no. I don't want to do that. I'd have him do it. He's here. He here. Yeah. Come on, David. I don't want to do that. Hey, hey, Dave Lane. Well, too bad. Do you want me to talk about it? I'm going to get it wrong. Just come and talk about the Polly Awards. <laughs>
1: I was supposed to talk about it, rob
0: uh, whatever jim said
1: <laughs> you got four minutes talk talk about the election how about, how about I talk about the lord here's what the lord did is that the event that rob said donald trump showed up at a pastor's pews event in orlando on august the 11th and the 12th of 2016 i was informed the day before he was coming he brought mike huckabee with him because he needed a pacifier and a, and a pastor to come and go for the pastors. And we had, I don't know, three or four 500 Florida pastors plus spouses. The guy that wrote me was uh, Paul Manafort, who then was a campaign manager who's been in the news, who I didn't know, never talked to. And so he said, I want to talk to you in a day or two, get your take on the campaign. So I said, are you in New York or DC? He said, I'm in New York. And I said, I'm on my way through New York next week when we meet. He said, Tuesday at 11 o'clock. So I'm on my way there. I'm It's 20, 25 minutes across the cab. I'm late. And I'm trying to get my tie on. My wife's trying to get me out of the hotel room. And a chicken farmer called me, who's probably a billionaire. And he was reminding me of an $18 million budget I'd put together a year before, Battleground States. He said, how are you doing on the $18 million? I said, I not raised a dime. You not raised a dime? I said, nope. Where are you? I'm in New York. What are you doing there? I'm on the city of Paul Manafort. What's going to happen there? He's going to narrow it down to probably two or three, four states. And so I'm trying to get him off the phone, but I'm being nice about it. So I'm hanging up, and he says, well, I'm in for $5 million. I said, you gotta be kidding. So I go to my meeting. Paul Manafort took about 30 minutes to buy my plan, what should happen to Battleground states, which is pastors and pews, moving the pastures to move the pews. And he gave me the six states, which are Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina, Missouri. I needed a million and a half per state, which is nine million dollars. So I waited to the end of this meeting and I said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring five million if you can bring four. He said, You got five million dollars? I said, I do. He said, well, give me two days. I left his office, went back to my room. By the way, he resigned the next day, never heard back from him. <laughs> so I get back to my hotel room, I'm getting my tie off, and the chicken farmer called me, and he said, uh, what happened? I said, he narrowed it down to six states, He gave me the six. I gave him six states. We need a million and a half, so I said, we're going to go into Florida, Missouri, and North Carolina, if he brings the money, we're going to go into Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. The chicken farmer said, no, we're not going to do that. Okay, what are we going to do? He said, this is August 16th, right? Yep. You got September, and October, right? Yep. I'm in for nine million. Make it happen. He wired me nine million dollars the next day. That's the first miracle that happened. Second miracle that happened was the largest firm in Texas, political firm, is Murphy Nassica. They do ground games. Somebody gave them hundred fifty thousand dollars, and they'd spent sixty days training a field team who were used to the troops, knew how to, are used to the boots, knew how, knew how to do the weapons, and. Their money fell through. They were letting all those people go the next day on Thursday. And of the nine million, I spent five million on that. And they started knocking on doors. They were already trained, used to the boots. The next, in those six states, the the Monday, three days later, they made a million door knocks and a million phone calls in those six states. It's a miracle of God, two miracles. I had nothing to do with either one of them. The Lord let me participate. It's about Him, not about me
0: it's eight o'clock thanks david i don't have to handle any more questions i'll leave you with this folks um you know i i I know there's a polarizing and and we have the whole spectrum in regards to the room and you, you came to understand the constitution and and probably if we sat down, I'd have different views than you would, but we're looking at the foundation and the basics of it. And that really is, as good citizens, what governs us, and that's our civil compact that we've agreed to. And in the course of that, we have things that move us, but we have a system of government that's been established so that we can, we can work through these processes and be civil with one another. But if we want to subject to one another and dominate, we got a problem. want to shout each other down. We want to silence those voices. we got a problem. And so I really think in our community, especially, we set the standard where we treat each other civilly with kindness and we operate in that context. And, you know, if, if you're sitting in this room and you have just completely different political views than I do, first of all, thank you for being here. Secondly, thank you for being so civil and for coming and, and, and this is where we gain understanding. We work through these processes. I really, I, I, this is, I'll tell you what my dog is in the fight. We've been given a constitutional republic. I want our citizens to understand it because wherever you are in the political spectrum, the system works so that we can be represented and heard. And, and we have to defend each other's right to do that. And we, we can only defend those rights when we understand them. And that's why I've been spending time trying to educate us. So I want to commend you. This is exciting to me. I mean, over at the church over here, they're doing a um, uh, apologetic seminar, and they've got this keynote speaker, and it's 175 bucks a ticket, and I actually wanted to go over to it, but I'm here tonight with you guys. But you know what? I love this. I really do. So I, I commend you, and I thank you, and it's 801. Actually, it's 803. So God bless you guys. Have a wonderful night.